I am struggling this morning. <laughs> Why am I struggling this morning? I woke up. I got coffee. I'm early. I am struggling this morning. It's because I took the full weekend off. I took the full weekend off. I didn't really come in here and stare at charts for 13, 14 hours a day. I didn't go reading news. I took the whole weekend off and it's showing on this Monday morning. If you don't know who I am, well, welcome to the weird guy they call Christian Israel. I'm here every single Monday, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central Time. This is Christ in Crypto in the Morning. We break this down in three sections. The first section, we do TA and talk about technical analysis and Elliott Waves structure for the most part, right? And FIB extensions for the most part outside of regular technical analysis. And then we use the news for the second part. And this is the second part. And today we're going to talk about focus more on XRP and Ripple. Um, and then kind of a little news there and play some clips for you. I don't want to do too much, but let's just jump right in. So I want to talk about real quick and I'm going to switch screens so I can get my face out of here. Boom. All right, not my face, but the rest of the screen so you can see the whole thing. So over the weekend, I don't know if you guys did the board, the ape, the ape coin metaverse jump, but a lot of people spend a lot of money on fees. And this also came out. It says, this is Cooper Coons. It says, we should all appreciate the irony of Ethereum currently being practically unusable to gas fees. We're talking millions of dollars in fees this weekend. And Solana had another DDoS bot attack. In other words, they both shut down. And my response to this was that NFTs are coming soon. NFTs, NFTs on the XRP ledger, well, I said is improper, are coming soon. So that is my thought process there. So why does all that matter? Why is XRP being hated so much? Like so much. I mean, even the Coinbase, not the Coinbase, the coin market. Uh, tweet last week and so forth. There's a great article uh, thread by Panos that you can go over. That's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about and play for you Mrs. Hogan and her analysis based on the new order put out by George, George, <laughs> Judge Torres. Here we go. Let me go ahead and play this. On something is at the end of the day, just an educated guess. For example, if she decides she needs Mrs. Hogan and her analysis based I thought I was playing an argument, then that would likely push okay, it's playing. judgment we go. on the case. Or for example, if there is an appeal pending on the discovery issue, that could delay things. But what we know for sure is that the judge won't be ruling on the case in September. A judicial ruling is not coming until December and possibly even early 2023, which brings us, of course, to the completely baffling Hinman emails and the SEC's death quest to protect these emails at any cost. And with the deliberative process privilege argument not going well for the SEC, it just filed a motion to not produce the Hinman speech emails and argue that the emails are also protected by attorney-client privilege. It's interesting to note that at this point in time, the SEC has spent more time and effort trying to protect these emails than any other issue in this litigation, including fighting over things like whether XRP is a security or not. Interesting. In any case, here is the motion and what the SEC is asking the court. 
The SEC renews its assertion that the attorney-client privilege protects internal documents related to a June 14, 2018 speech delivered by Bill Hinman, the then director of the SEC's Division of Corporate Finance. So where did this come from? The SEC raised attorney-client privilege back in August 2021, and it sat dormant pending resolution of the deliberative process privilege arguments since then. It's almost like the SEC kept this argument in its back pocket in case the deliberative privilege argument didn't go well for it, which it hasn't at all. The attorney-client privilege is the oldest and most important privilege in law and is meant to protect communications between you and your lawyer so what you tell your lawyer can't be used against you. The test for what is covered is simple. Attorney-client privilege covers communications, one, between you and your lawyer, two, that are confidential, and three, which communications constitute legal advice. I used to work for a law firm that represented California cities, and this issue was of course important to us. And working for a government agency can cause confusion about the first part of the test. Who is the client? And that is the first thing that the SEC is going to struggle with in this motion. First off, the SEC has taken no less than three positions on whose opinion the speech was. So back in August of last year, when the attorney-client privilege was first raised, it was the SEC's opinion, then it later became Mr. Hinman's personal opinion, then it finally became the division's opinion. And now we might understand the strategy behind that because in arguing its motion, the SEC characterizes the first group of emails as being legal guidance from within the division itself. The first 23 entries listed on attachment one to the motion reflect drafts that these attorneys exchanged among themselves with Director Hinman and with Corpfin attorneys who held responsibility for digital assets. So the SEC is trying to say that the first 23 emails are all emails from the division's lawyers only, and that the argument here is that the division itself is the client, and anything that's said within the division is attorney-client privilege. The problem the SEC is gonna run into is that the court has already taken a hard position that Mr. Hinman's speech was his personal opinion. And as the SEC admits in its motion, Mr. Hinman had a personal attorney Michael Seaman, and attorney Seaman was also involved in advising Mr. Hinman on the speech. If Director Hinman had his own personal lawyer to advise him, were the other numerous lawyers who emailed him about the speech also his attorneys? There's a case called Baxter versus Reed, which gives some insight for us. And in that case, the attorney for the city met with two council members and also two people from the fire department to talk about a lawsuit. And the court said that the inclusion of the people from the fire department stopped attorney-client privilege from applying. That will likely be something Ripple will be arguing on the first prong of the test. But the bigger problem for the SEC is the third prong, which asks whether legal advice was provided in the emails. When going into this discussion in its motion, the SEC hesitates a little. Entries 1 to 23 analyze the application of the securities law to digital assets, a primary legal issue. The exchange of those drafts among court feminine attorneys allowed them to provide the type of advice that can be rendered only by consulting the legal authorities. That's about as detailed as the SEC gets in arguing that legal advice was given, and that's a problem for its argument, especially in the context that the speech was Hinman's personal opinion. If the email exchanges were simply, what do you think about this speech? And the attorneys discuss whether it accurately reflects the application of the Howey test to digital assets. That's not the kind of legal advice covered by attorney-client privilege. 
The kind of thing in the emails which would make it attorney-client privilege would be, for example, if an attorney told Mr. Hinman he should remove a part of the speech because the SEC rules don't allow him to disclose certain information. That might be attorney-client privilege. But even then, that begs the question, why didn't his personal lawyer give him that legal advice? But I think if the emails are just general discussions about applying Howey to digital assets, that is not attorney-client privilege. The privilege can't be stretched that far. Ripple, on the other hand, will have a difficult time arguing this motion because it doesn't know exactly what is in the emails, because it hasn't seen them, and will have to rely on the judge to apply the law correctly upon review. This issue will be playing out over the next month, and as you see it come up, remember to ask, one, was Hinman even the client? And two, was there legal advice given, or was it just general legal discussion? That second question is likely what the decision will hinge on. As always, thanks for watching. And yes, Mr. Crown for XRP okay, on so Twitter. That is the easiest way for me to ex have be explained is to have a professional attorney. And you guys know Mrs. Hogan, right? Jeremy's wife from Legal Briefs explain. Now, we didn't go into the dates because that was the first half of it. And there's no need to do that. Basically, we think that this they think that the, this is going to be over before December, right before Christmas. At the latest, January 2023. All depends on how long it takes her to go over the or uh, the arguments and if they need oral arguments. Okay? We know that. Now, the question here is, what is going on with these emails? <laughs> like, I don't understand. You brought us... I'm saying us, because you said all XRP people who, that invest in XRP are holding security. So we're saying the SEC brought the suit against us. Okay? But why are you hiding the emails? I just don't understand. Like, what do these emails really say? Four different stances on it where the judge has already said, no, it's his public opinion. That's what you said. And now that the fact it's his public opinion, then we're going to get him released. And now it's a lawyer. And now it's ethics. And now it's private conversation between attorney. But are they all your attorneys? Are they all personal attorneys? This is a crock show. For real. Like, what kind of show is this? I don't know, but I wanted to play that for you so you get a good idea. And today is not a lot of me speaking about XRP. I'm going to let Brad speak to you guys about it more. And this interview, now I'm halfway through this interview. It's six minutes and 20 seconds, six minutes and 22 seconds into this interview. But Brad reveals some secrets in here. And I don't want to interrupt. And there's no, there's no monetization, copyright stuff to play this interview. So I'm going to let it play. And I'm going to. Shut up, and I want you to listen to it. Listen to what he says, because one, look at this, this man's smirk on his, he's in the Bahamas here, by the way. He was just on Bloomberg, now he's in the Bahamas, and this these guys are doing real things. So if you haven't seen the whole interview, I've uploaded most of it on TikTok, but here's the whole thing, and I just want you to listen to it, because it's important to know what you own. See what he's saying. Now, this is a guy that's apparently, you know, the most, this is the probably the most hated crypto in the whole crypto space is XRP. You got to wonder why. All right. So let's make sure and let's go ahead and play this. Yeah. And uh, as well, uh, some countries uh, plan to launch their central bank digital currencies. Uh, China already has a successful launch of digital yuan. So how do you see the existence of uh, both cryptocurrency and central bank digital currencies? Well, typically, I mean, the way Ripple looks at this is Ripple's really trying to solve that cross-border payments problem. You know, uh, central bank digital currencies are you know, domestic by, that, by nature. They're issued by a central bank uh, or potentially issued by a central bank. 
So they're not really solving cross-border problems. They're solving domestic uh, solutions more often than not. So look, I, I think that the what we're seeing happen with stable coins, we're ha seeing happening with central bank issued digital assets, I think is exciting. I'm not exactly clear how it's all going to play out. You're seeing countries experiment and test. Uh, Ripple has partnered with several uh, central banks around the world. Some we've announced, some we haven't yet announced that they're issuing uh, and testing using the XRP ledger to issue their digital assets on the XRP ledger as a, as a token. So uh, we're excited to be working with them. And look, at our core, Ripple's really good at working with enterprise customers. A government is just a big enterprise customer. You know, we know how to sell to. That's an interesting notion. It, it, I mean, in some ways, it's just a really big enterprise customer. And mm -hmm. we're pretty good at that now because we've had a lot of experience with it and worked with some of the largest banks in the world, uh, as well as a lot of the smaller payment companies that have grown very quickly using our technology. It's helped them grow more quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what are your thoughts on stable coins? Well, I put stable coins in the same category. I mean, it, you know, look, here in the US, stable coins face some of the same problems that the crypto industry at large faces, where you have a, a very aggressive Securities and Exchange Commission making statements about uh, are those securities? And you know, I think uh, you're seeing uncertainty around how that will play out. But look, I, I think, as I've said, it's a multi-chain world. I think there will not be one solution to rule them all. Mm -hmm. And I think there'll be solutions that uh, cooperate with each other and integrate with each other in ways that help both projects. Mm -hmm. And in your opinion, what is needed for the mass adoption of crypto? Well, look, I mean, it, it's an interesting question because I'd start by saying I think over 50 million people in the United States are already expo have crypto exposure one way or another. And so yeah, that's, that's kind of mass adoption. You know, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, now, do I think that is, uh, I think a lot more people will be participating in the crypto markets in five more years. So uh, I think things like NFTs have opened up exposure to new customer segments. I also think a lot of this will be uh, in non-G20 markets where you don't have strong currencies like the dollar or euro or yen or pound. And you know, if, if you are, I'll, I'll pick on the Zimbabwe dollar, you know, this is a, a, a currency that central government has kind of lost control of a couple of times in history. And I think you, you may see that digital assets enter consumer use cases more prevalently or more uh, actively in markets where you don't have strong domestic currency. And uh, what are your thoughts about DeFi and uh, does Ripple do something in this space? You know, I was asked on stage in Puerto Rico about DeFi, and uh, I think I, my response was confused. Uh, I'm ex I, I would maybe expand that to just say I'm excited and confused. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, decentralized finance applications, there's some very compelling ones. Mm -hmm. To some degree, DeFi means different things to different people. The, the only thing I would caution against, sometimes people talk about DeFi in a way that uh, there are some certain foundational regulatory frameworks that matter globally. And it doesn't matter for the United States or you're mad, you know, in Europe and Asia. Government regulators care about something called KYC, know your customer. And you talk about true DeFi and you have anonymous transactions and decentralized autonomous organizations that don't have KYC-able owners, if you will, or principals. I think it makes it very hard for those entities to integrate and partner and participate in the traditionally defined financial system. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's to be determined how that all plays out.
but now we see as well big DeFi players launching somehow a DeFi for institutionals with this KYC and whitelist. We, we shall see how it plays out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, can you share something about your portfolio? What are the coins except Ripple, the XRP do you have? Uh, I, you know, I, I keep that to myself mostly. I mean, I, I am involved in kind of index uh, of you know, various other leading cryptos, but I, I don't do even the stock market you know I've, i don't do a lot of individual stock picks uh, for the same reason but, uh. so do you still invest into stocks or are you all into crypto uh i would say about 90 percent of my personal net worth is in crypto yeah that's cool yeah. and can you share some plans for the development of ripple any sure. Partnerships? Sure. Maybe if you don't mind, last question. I'll I'll touch yeah. on this and then we'll wrap up. But uh, look, I, I think for Ripple, one of the things I have talked about a little bit publicly is that uh, I was exposed, very fortunately, to Amazon in the very earliest days. I met with Jeff Bezos in 1996, and at you know, the time it was called Amazon Books, and Amazon was a bookseller, and they competed just with books. In some ways, I think about what Amazon was to books as Ripple is to cross-border payments. Mm -hmm. Blockchain technologies can solve and reduce friction of transactions in lots of industries and lots of use cases. Ripple started with cross-border transactions because we felt like the correspondent bank was could be disintermediated and improve speed, improve cost, and reduce errors. Uh, but there's a lot of other examples like that, and we certainly think there's other vertical industries we'll go after. We've talked a little bit publicly about some things we're doing with the carbon credit marketplaces mm -hmm. as one example, but there's some other things that we'll continue to work on to go beyond just uh, books. Okay, great. We'll follow more updates from, from Ripple and from you. Thank you for such interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. Okay, man, the, str the struggle is real this morning for me. All right, tomorrow I look forward to being more awake and going. So we got a couple things in that interview and I go back and watch it. I don't need to reiterate what was said, right? But the big thing for me was the comparison for Amazon to Ripple. You know, Brad's 90% of stuff is, in a, is into crypto of his investment. But the big thing is that they announced he's working with banks that he's announced and central banks they haven't announced. They've announced a lot of big time central banks, but the question is who are they working with they haven't announced, right? And the only ones we know that haven't been testing Ripple technology is the Federal Reserve. So I'm curious, what do you guys know? What else is out there being tested that we have not seen on paper? That is the question. So let's dig into that over the next few days and see. But I want to play that for you because Monday was just some new update on the XRP. I think we're... I think this month is going to be insane when it comes to price action. And I think over the next 120 days, we're going to grind our way all the way up. And this is going to be done here in the next, what, five months. So that is my outlook. I hope you enjoyed this section where we saw Miss Hogan speak, Mrs. Hogan speak, and Brad speak at the conference here. Uh, oh, by the way, don't forget this. Ripple opens its first office in the European Union. The new office will be located in Dublin, Ireland. Is he a pot of gold? <laughs> Is this man a pot of gold? That's all I want to say. Know what you own. Know what you own. Know what you own. 
This is your boy Christian Israel. I'm tuned in every single day, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Christ in Crypto Live. This is the second section of for the daily topics. Is Brad our lucky charm? Are we in the right place? Let's see. All right, guys. God bless. And let's go on to the next section. Let's fade to black. Hey guys, thanks for watching. Please make sure you like, subscribe, share this video, subscribe to this channel, and do the thing that people do on social media. At Twitter, at TikTok, you know, New Creation Capital. Let us know, guys. Thanks so much. I hope you guys have a great day. Later, guys.